an evening to you all. Is this the highlight of the day? There's a certain way in which uh, offering and listening to a Dharma talk is a practice in and of itself. Right? It's a practice for the the teacher to be present and um, try to be uh, in touch with motivation and giving the talk, offering what, with the intention that be of benefit to the beings that hear it, and in accord with the Dharma. And then there's your end of it, which is what it's like to hear the teachings of the Buddha through the mouthpiece here and um, let them in, be interested in them. You know, sometimes we think what we have to get everything out of the talk. You're like, you know, I, got, I should write it all down. If I don't write it down, if I don't, you know, I'm going to miss the point and not get anything. But what I've found uh, in listening to talks is really the most useful space is to have a mind that's open and receptive and just be there. Just be there. Don't worry so much about how it applies or whether you'll remember it when you go home to your your community sangha so that you can give you know a Dharma talk on the theme or whatever. But just to take it in, in a very simple kind of way, as the offering that we intend it to be. And as to the theme of the talk, how do we know what talk to give you? Because the Dharma is vast and deep. So a lot of, a lot of different options are always there for talks. And I think what I do, and I think what my colleagues do too, is we're kind of aware of what's going on in the arc of the retreat. And because we're having practice group meetings now, we're, we're getting the download on what you're experiencing because you talk about it in the practice group meetings and you ask particular kinds of questions. And then we, we realize, oh, it would be responsive to what's going on in the group day to open up this theme or to offer um, the perspective of this teaching. So what I'm going to speak about tonight is uh, what are called the hindrances. Who's heard of that teaching before? Okay. Some folk, but probably not the majority. How many of you have experienced the hindrances <laughs> on the job training? You may not recognize you've experienced the hindrances, but and when I go through them, I think you'll, you'll recognize um, something that might be similar to something that, that you've had happen while you've been here. So to just talk about what goes on here on retreat, There's a certain kind of way in which 
you get set up for a certain set of expectations, right? Either you come in with certain expectations or hopes for the retreat, or you hear the teachings or the instructions that we offer that say, you know, find the, find the body, find the breath, find the anchor, and, you know, uh, attend to that and be with that. And if you get lost, uh, when you recognize you've been lost, uh, see if you can come back to the anchor in a, you know, a non-reactive way and just start again very simply. And then in the walking, uh, you know, go to your walking place and just incline the mind to recognize the sensations of walking as you, you touch, touch, lift, move, place. So then you all just do that. Right? All your waking hours, you've, you've, you have perfect mindfulness there. You sustain it day and night with continuity and no break in it. And you always know what's going on. And, you know, you can find your body, you can find your feet, you can find the breath, you can find it all. Right? Oh, don't lie to me now. (laughs) So, uh, you know, we might want to settle on the breath. We might want to be mindful and have a body that's relaxed and at ease and an alert mind. And we set that intention. We set our attention to be able to do that. And then, of course, not all our wishes can come true. Then other things happen. Right? Other things arise in the course of practice. And often these things that arise in the course of the practice kind of come in and almost sweep attention away. Right? Either the subjective experiences, either mindfulness collapses, like goes away, and all of a sudden, at a certain point, you realize you've spent the last, you know, 15 minutes thinking about the ice cream in your refrigerator at home and, you know, what you're going to do as soon as you get in there and, um, you know, what's going to be on TV um, when you head out. You didn't ask for that, right, in most cases. You didn't, like, necessarily sit there and go, I think I'm going to (laughs) fantasize. Well, maybe sometimes. I remember I had that thought once. My first 10-day retreat, actually. And it was in July. It wasn't here. It was in Oregon. It was in July. And it was hot. It was really hot. And there were a lot of flies in the meditation hall that would crawl all over me. At some point, like around 3.30 or something, the thought came up, you know, I bet if I sat here and I thought about my last vacation, I could probably take up the rest of this sitting period. (laughs) So that was the thought. So there must have been some residual mindfulness and awareness there, because when I saw the thought, I recognized oh, I don't think you want to do this because you've got seven more days. And I don't think any kind of fantasy is <laughs> going to last that long. So I realized I had to like find some other, other way to deal with it. 
But, you know, the body's got its preferences. Wants this, it wants that. Wants chocolate. Wants a Barca lounger. The mind has its preferences, right? It wants happiness and light states and joy and things to be interesting and... Um, it's not so easy to train the mind to just be with what's actually happening. Because frankly, a lot of times we don't really like it that much. So, even though we might be on retreat with the hopes for ease and peace or internal quiet or whatever, we don't always always get that result. And, you know, we're actually confronted with the many cross-conditioned cross-currents in our mind stream that are at variance with this desire. And these can actually overwhelm our mind, come in, sweep us away, become predominant. You know, we might struggle for control and then fail at that and then struggle with a feeling of failure like we're not doing it right or we can't do it or this isn't the right thing to do or um, something else should be happen happening you know maybe I should have gone on the spa vacation instead you ever go to Kripalu very interesting place I've taught there a few times with Jack Cornfield you can go to Kripalu and we would be giving a mindfulness retreat. A lot lighter fare than this, but we'd be doing a mindfulness retreat. And people would sort of disappear in the afternoon for a while. And then when they came into the hall the next time, they would be smelling of patchouli oil from their massage <laughs> down in the treatment center, you know, where they had their, had a, you could tell they had a really good facial. <laughs> But we, we, we haven't pulled that off here. <laughs> but we'd like to, to feel like, you know, maybe we can just be with things and just kind of work them around to get them the way that I want to. So the mind can get in a very struggling relationship with its chosen object, like with the breath or with the sensations of walking or whatever. But then, you know, we can slip into distraction again, even though we've set this resolve to be present. Things can happen, as they say. Um, You know, we can get into the, I want to have a good meditation, I want to have a good meditation. I want to have at least one good (laughs) good meditation while I'm here. At least one good one in ten days, you know, can I just have one? You know, we have this idea that a, a good meditation is one where we just sit down and we're just present and we're with everything. And, you know, the body's behaving and the mind's behaving. And we can stay with the chosen object and we're balanced and present and all this. So now that we've got desire in the mix of wanting that good meditation, and then kind of like push for that connection with the breath. Push for it, like, you know, try to get it and grip it. Um, We're wanting to get on with it. And then we might even get a little pissed off 
about what's happening because it's not working. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? It's not working. Ooh, you give that one a report to a Dharma teacher, you're going to have an interesting conversation because the Dharma teacher is going to say, well, what would it look like if it was working? And often the response is, it would be the way I want it to be. <laughs> or it would be the way I imagine it should be. And then you say, well, how do you know that? How do you know what it should be? Do you control what it can be? Well, we'd love to. But if you look at the teachings and you look deeply at your own experience, you start to realize, hey, what I contribute to the moment-to-moment experience is not the only thing that's present. It's not the only cause and condition that's creating the arising of immediate experience. There are a lot of other causes and conditions, including some that I am totally unaware of, that could be part of what is creating this thing that I'm experiencing right now that I think I should be able to get on top of and make not happen or happen. But, you know, aversion can get in there, can come up in the mind. It's like, this this is not right, you know? This is not right. Maybe some anger there, maybe maybe at yourself. Why am I not doing it right? That's another, another question people sometimes ask us. What am I doing? Why am I not doing it right? Or sometimes people say, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> Are you doing it to yourself? I mean, unless you're choosing to do something like, I don't know, slam your finger in the door repeatedly, deliberately, you're probably not necessarily doing it to yourself in that exact way. So, but, you know, anger and frustration can arise. Maybe it's at yourself, maybe it's at the teachers, maybe it's at the, you know, person next to you who's breathing too loudly through their mask and, you know, their fumes are coming out into the room and then you have to think about that and... uh, Then, you know, judgment, disappointment, oh, want to escape from that. Anybody experience boredom? So boring. How can you just sit there hour after hour with your eyes closed and just breathing through a mask. (laughs) It makes, you know, watching paint dry (laughs) seem like, you know, high drama, like the Game of Thrones or something, comparatively speaking. So, you know, Five more days of this. If this continues on, my head is just going to explode. <laughs> or maybe the body gets restless. You know, it's like, God, i got to just get up and move. 
It's like the slow, 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 slow. I just want to run through the, <laughs> the dining room. I want to go up the front of the room and just ring that big bell. <laughs> bing, that bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Wake up that guy that's snoring back there. <laughs> Uh, or maybe, you know, you get some doubt that arises. Okay, how, how to proceed, how to proceed. Um, can I do this? <clears throat> Should I do this? Is this worth doing? Where is this going anyway? How, how is this supposed to be helpful? Uh, do they even know what they're talking about? <laughs> you know, maybe they... There was a misprint in the suttas or something. And, um, so, you know, these kinds of states of mind can cycle through. Have you noticed that? How many of those particular states do, do you recognize? How many of you have experienced the state of aversion, not liking? Oh, raise your hand, hands high, claim it. Not in the self sense, but aversion, aversion. How about uh, sense craving? Ooh, I want to get that. That was good. Let me get that back again. I had that feeling I was just about to get it, and then it went away. (laughs) How about uh, sloth and torpor? You know that one? It's like, God, I just want to lay down and go to sleep. You know, but I've already had a two-hour nap today. But it's like maybe if I can sleep it off, you know, it's like time will fly. Sloth and torpor. How about restlessness and worry? It's like, you know, ants in your pants or ants in your mind. It's like, oh, God. Or maybe the mind is going, oh, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. Remorse? That's not an uncommon thing to come up on retreat either. You sit down, you know, the intention to do this practice, and all of a sudden some memory comes up of, some girl you were mean to in fifth grade or something, seemingly out of nowhere. That can happen too. And how about doubt? Doubt. Oh, good. Doubt is representing in the room. That can take a lot of interesting forms. I wonder if I'm doing it right. I wonder if I want to go where this is going. I wonder if the Buddha knew what he was talking about. I wonder if I'm the kind of person that can succeed at something like this. I wonder if I should do this before that, or should I do that before this? Or I wonder if I uh, you know, got online and I looked up some stuff that I would understand better what's going on and then I could kind of like figure out where I am on the map. 
yeah, doubt can be very sneaky. Because it's, you know, just trying to be helpful, right? <laughs> but it's interesting in the structure of the Buddha's teachings in the Satipatthana Sutta, where he kind of lays out the cultivation of uh, mindful awareness and how it is to be done gives the basic instructions there. He says there's four major fields where we can cultivate awareness, where we can actually develop mindfulness. And one of them that he he particularly points out is the fourth foundation, which is uh, usually translated as mindfulness of dhammas, dhammas, or mindfulness of the dharma. And in that foundation, he says, here's some particular things that you can use, you can learn to recognize and practice with to strengthen mindfulness. And one of the things that's in that part of the sutta is the five hindrances. The five things that I've just described and you, you have bravely acknowledged experiencing, he says, is actually a place where you can develop mindfulness. That you can actually use the arising of these particular uh, experiences of the body and mind as a place of practice. In other words, they're not outside Vipassana or mindfulness practice. They're inside practice. So meeting these states, these uh, states which are often difficult and sometimes un- very unpleasant and painful, is key if you want to learn how to work with your mind. And why would that be? It's because they're there so often. You know by now from your own experience that you can't just turn your awareness to the mindfulness channel and have it stay there, right? Right? Mindfulness of the breath, have it stay there. Mindfulness of sensations of walking, have it stay there. You know for yourself, you know, it drifts off and goes elsewhere. Or sometimes you have the experience of something else coming in or over, uh, you know, your intended object of awareness and sweeping you away into one of these hindrances, right? And they can come in in the form of thoughts, Oh, I wish that guy would just, if he would just, you know, stop with the snoring. I could, uh, I could, uh. Hearing. Unpleasant. Not liking. Aversion. Maybe they come in as an emotion. Longing. Longing, want, wanting, wanting. Maybe it then turns into like a experience of an internal image. Maybe the the face of your cat or something. And you notice the movement of mind of just wishing you could pick her up and get scratched. 
Or maybe it arises in, in the form of uh, body sensations. The body sensations of restlessness, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Right? I'm just trying to... <laughs> make it all right. Or the body sensations of sloth, sloth and torpor. The subjective experience of that nice, warm curtain of ooze that descends over you. Comes in. Maybe the mind's first reaction is, oh no. Maybe the mind's first reaction is, thank God. (laughs) So you can see them come up sometimes, right? Or sometimes you don't see them come up, but you see the effect of them having come up. So we can't will these away, generally speaking. So the question always is, well, how can you actually practice with them in a way so that they're onward leading? That they can, as the Buddha says, when he's talking about the fourth foundation of mindfulness, actually become a place where you can develop mindfulness and sharpen your awareness. And in the process of working directly with them, actually train the mind to recognize them when they're present, have a wise relationship to them, and in the process of doing that, undercut their footing, undercut their prevalence in your mind stream. Now, why do I I say that second piece? Undercut their prevalence in the mind stream. It's because mindfulness has this very important property that it serves to strengthen what is wholesome in the mind, the heart-mind, what we want more of, intentions and attitudes and thoughts and experiences of non-harming and generosity and compassion and wisdom, Mindfulness strengthens those forces in our mind, supports those, those arisings within, within our mind more and more often in stronger and stronger forms. And it has the double property when it touches what is unwholesome of undercutting it. Meaning by making it conscious in this kind of way, it weakens the mind's tendency towards this state. It weakens its identification with the state. You're actually, in a certain kind of way, bringing the light of mindfulness towards what otherwise creates suffering and represents delusion. You're like shining the spotlight on it. Oh, aversion is here. Here's aversion. This is what aversion is like. And if you know what aversion is like, you're recognizing it's arising at some point, either at some point it spits you out and you're like, oh man, what was that? That's a trip. Maybe you're still like maybe mad or sad or, but you recognize, oh, the, 
What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What just happened? Quickly take a look. Oh, was aversion. Yeah, there's still some here. It's aversion. Or maybe aversion arises. You're sitting there. There's some pain in the body. You know, you're trying to be with, with the breath. Like you're trying, you're trying, you're trying to do the instructions the best way that you can. You're trying to be with the breath. You know, and your, your leg just keeps hurting. Just keeps hurting. And you're trying to, like, you know, be with the breath. The leg keeps hurting. leg keeps hurting. And at a certain point, anger arises in the mind or frustration arises in the mind. Oh, if this leg wasn't doing this, and then I'd be able to meditate. Aversion. Okay, right there at that point. That's the time to actually turn your mindfulness towards that experience of that set of sensations and towards the frustration of mind and the aversion. And what does the Mahasi Sayadaw say to do in relationship to these hindrances? He says, recognize them immediately as they arise and note them. Aversion, aversion, aversion. And sometimes we can. Sometimes we can catch them pretty early on. But a lot of times we can't. A lot of times we have the experience of kind of like being partially present with what we're experiencing, right? We're trying to be with the breath. We're trying trying to be with the breath or with hearing or something. But there's also the experience of some kind of struggle with that. And maybe some thoughts like, oh, I really want to have lunch. Oh, I really want to have lunch. Oh, I really want to have lunch. Oh, I hope they have dessert. Oh, I hope they have dessert. Oh, I hope they have dessert. Why don't they have coffee here? Why don't they have coffee? Why don't they have coffee? You're trying to be with the sitting and hearing, sitting and hearing, but you're having this... this uh, this other arising happened right in within, right within the field of your awareness. And the mind is trying to hold on to the hearing and the sitting. Okay, the power move. I'm telling you a lot of secrets tonight. The power move is let go of the attempt to hold on to the hearing or the breath or whatever when you're having that experience of one of these hindrances entering in and repeatedly competing or becoming predominant in your experience, actually take your mindfulness and turn towards it. Note it. What is it? What I described was wanting. Wanting. So when Tara was giving the instructions this morning, she was talking about how you can, she gave you the acronym, her own twist on the acronym. It's a shout out to her heritage there. Recognition, acceptance, non-identification, non-attachment. And the last one was what I, what's that mean? Investigation, investigation. 
Well, what does investigation mean? It means when one of these hindrances is present there, either as your dominant experience or repeatedly competitive, or there's like some generic sense of struggle that you can't quite identify, you actually turn to your experience and and go, is there a hindrance here? What's going on? What, what's actually happening here? What's, what's the predominant experience? What's the main thing that's here now? Then you note it. And you might need to you know, go through your little mental Rolodex sometimes. Let's see, is it sense craving? Is it aversion? Is it sloth and torpor? Is it restlessness and worry? Is it doubt? Sometimes you may pull a full flush (laughs) and get all of them. But usually one is predominant. Take a look. What is is this state like? What is this state like as a mind state? And how, how do you know it for what it is? So with sense... Craving, for instance, one of the things I've noticed for myself when this is going on in a strong kind of way, the mind, my mind might be actually generating like subtle images of, you know, the dining room or, <laughs> you know, or it might have a memory there about, you know, a nice um, double latte with extra foam or, right? So there, there could be some kind of internal seeing there. So now now this is part of what you're knowing. Oh, seeing, seeing as part of this experience of wanting. And maybe there's some thoughts. I wish the morning lunch period was longer so we could just really savor our meal and not have to move through there for the noon people. Right? Particular kinds of thoughts are... Ooh, when I get home, I think I've got some hot cocoa there. So all these are thoughts. Pleasant thoughts, unpleasant thoughts. Now, these are all, as you attend to this experience of sense craving, you could see a parade of these kinds of experiences come, right? You could note aspects of this as it presents itself, right? This is seeing. Oh, this is remembering. Oh, what my kitchen looks like. Oh, this is this is wanting a particular thing. This is now maybe it's like, yeah, but I'm not going to get that thought. Oh, I'm not going to get that. What's is there a hindrance with that thought? Is the mind going, well, I'm not going to get that, so I just let go of this fantasy, perhaps, in which case the mind is now, is practicing letting go and renunciation. It's practicing non-clinging. It recognizes, okay, I'm in a cycle now of sitting here in this one place and my mind is creating this pleasant movie of what it wants to get. But actually there is no latte with double foam. (laughs) And... This is dukkha. Can I let can I let go of this? 
Or, these are just examples of how these things can unfold and you can know them. Or maybe the realization there is no, uh, you know, access to the cocoa is, that sucks. Why did I do this to myself? This is stupid. Right? In which case, would there be a hindrance there? What would it be? Doubt. What else? Aversion. Why did I do this to myself? Yes, there's some self-doubt. Like, who made this decision? But then there's the, this sucks. That would be aversion. So as you, you attend to this, you're actually bringing the power of mindfulness into connection to these uh, experiences in the mind stream that represent these different aspects of the five hindrances. You're seeing it. Instead of being totally absorbed in the thinking or in the wanting or in the not wanting or in the the doubt, you start to be able to see the experience that you're having here as an observation of process. The mind was experiencing this in real time. The mind's experiencing this in real time. Sensations of the breath, sensations of the breath, sensations of the breath. Breath is there, breath is there. All of a sudden a thought arises. Thinking, thinking thought arises of the future. Oh, wanting, 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 thinking, wanting, pleasant, thinking, frustrated, unpleasant. Maybe that all passes away or weakens. Now you're back with the breath, breathing, sensations of breathing, touching, allowing. So you can learn how to have these aspects of mind that are often invisible to us actually become conscious when they arise and become either the predominant experience or repeatedly competitive with what we're attending to. Right? Because sometimes they come in and they just... Like come over and all of a sudden that's the main thing that's happening. You can acknowledge, okay, now this is happening. Oh, hindrance. Mahasi says, note it. What is it? Note it, note it. Turn towards it. Don't try to get away from it. Don't try to uh, suppress it. There are different techniques for working with different ones of them, but mindful and investigation is a primary one that, that we teach with this method knowing it. What's it like? What's it like when there's anger in the mind? What words come up for you for that? On a temperature scale, heat, often. Sometimes it can be cold, though, too. There's a cold version. 
sensations in the body related to anger, contraction, tightness. Anybody got the jaw thing that happens? Uh, you know, the clamp down on the jaw. I notice for myself sometimes, I'll notice like the forearms and the hands are almost like, they don't, but you can almost, I can almost feel like an impulse to, you know, get the monkey parts in there <laughs> to do something. Sometimes a lot of energy. Right, a lot. Of, can, there can be a lot of energy in the body when there's anger, almost like there. Sometimes, almost like an impulse, like get up out of the chair and do something. What is not clear, but uh, heat, tightness in the back. What's it like when the body is experiencing craving? One of the things I notice when it's experiencing craving, it's it, oh, just this is a physiological thing. It's almost like there's some kind of tractor beam there, mm. <laughs> like about in the middle of the chest. Mm. Ever have the experience of thinking about something and um, say we'll take food because that often comes up on retreat. You notice you're having some sort of fantasy and you notice you're salivating <laughs> just from the fantasy of it. How about other, other forms of craving or wanting? Sometimes it can almost feel like a burning kind of thing, right? Burning. Discontent arises in the mind when craving is strong, discontent with what you got. So it can easily flip towards anger, right? It's like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. The mind kind of schemes around it and fantasizes around it sometimes, and then it gets mad when it realizes it can't have it. It flips to the aversive side of experience, right? Uh, Hope they have dessert. Hope they have dessert. It would be so great if they have dessert. There's nothing happening in that kitchen. There are going to be no cookies there. I don't know why they don't understand that, you know, sugar's important. (laughs) You know, I should have brought my own stuff. I know they tell you not to keep food in your room, but it's like... So these are, you know, very in-line human thoughts that we have, right? These kinds of things. Can you see these experiences, these common experiences, as being being uh, understood or held within the framework of the teachings. Okay, these are hindrances when they're there. doesn't make you bad that they happen, that they come in and sweep you away. It just means the mind needs to, needs to train, right? Train to recognize them, train to know how to relate to them so that we're not driven by them. I can, can you imagine... <coughs> what your mind would be like and what your life would be like if you just handed it over to these mind states. Let's see. I think I'll have a feed my mind on craving, aversion, 
sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry and doubt. I mean, just like make a big old buffet of that stuff and just like ingest it. Mmm. You'd be a hot mess. Right? Because it's not an appealing spread. But we have it. So the first step of this is priming the mind and coaching the mind to be willing to recognize it when it's there. So if we don't recognize them when they're there, and they're, especially when they're strong, then it makes it difficult for the mind to collect itself in mindfulness and concentration. And that's why they're called hindrances, you know, which is kind of an old-timey word, meaning you know, something that gets in the way or holds back something. Well, what is holding back is your development of mindfulness and all that flows from that including your ability to sustain awareness of your immediate experience in an ongoing way, uh, thus purifying your mind stream and allowing you to come to an understanding for yourself about how reality works. So sometimes these states are talked about as obscurations. Obscurations. So what's it mean? The Buddha says that the mind is naturally radiant, but from time to time it is visited by what he calls adventitious defilements. Adventitious. What's it mean? It means when certain circumstances are there, then they come and are there. And what's he mean by defilements? That sounds old-timey, too. And a little, you're defiled, child. But it doesn't mean that. It means that these particular states are offshoots of craving, aversion, and delusion. So we don't want, want more of them. But we have them. So we need to learn how to Deal with it. So the fact that you're doing this kind of meditation, you are starting to be able to see them. This is good. Because the average uninstructed worldling, as the Buddha would say, doesn't even necessarily recognize this experience, right? They just kind of operate from it. And, you know, we all probably know people or maybe we're that person ourselves or have been that person at some point in our lives where, you know, if one of these states came up, they would just go with it completely, right? If you look look at, for instance, you know, the process of addiction, what is that? But, you know, the desire, sense craving, the desire for pleasantness, the desire for relief, 
from discomfort. And it takes a particular form of, you know, ingesting something that over, overcomes that unpleasantness and that, that distress. But then it creates, you know, a cycle. It creates a loop of dependency and the substance no longer has the effect. And so the mind kind of like doubles down on trying to find it or maybe it goes to other things to try to find it there, right? Your mind's not free when it's functioning like that. Or maybe you've known <clears throat> someone or you've seen this in yourself, somebody who just really lets their anger fly. Uh, I heard somebody recently say something like, well, they started it up with me and you know, I just had to tell them to go off. And, uh, you know, you started up with me, I'm Irish, and I'm going to finish it. She got canned <laughs> from work. But, right, no, no flexibility of mind. It's like identification with the state, and you're taking the advice from this, these states that don't have your best interest at heart. They're organic to us because they're part of our biological setup. But you don't want these to, to dominate, right? You don't want to follow the lead of these kinds of states because it doesn't go any place you, you want to go. It doesn't go towards freedom. It doesn't go towards the situation or the circumstance circumstances that allow you to understand your own heart-mind and to cultivate it. So the Buddha says, uh, without having overcome these five, it is impossible for one whose insight thus lacks strength and power to know his good the good of others and the good of both, nor will they be capable of realizing the state of distinctive achievement. Which is another way of saying, if you're lost in these states, you don't have an adequate orientation to reality. So, you know, if you can't see uh, what's going on well enough to make skillful choices the kind that lead to our well-being and happiness and that of others, then you're kind of very subject to whatever adventitious defilements happen to arise. You're kind of, there's a certain amount of automaticity going on there. So we definitely don't want to get lost in these states, although we will. So you're at the interesting uh, point in um, learning and practicing these, these teachings because you're being given instructions to stay awake and be present with things, and you can't do it in a perfect way. So you're seeing the presence of these, these cross-currents in the mind stream. 
So that can be painful and kind of humbling in a certain kind of way as the, as the heart-mind kind of thrashes around and starts to realize, hey, this is happening. That's good. To recognize that it's happening when it's happening, that's very good indeed. Then that turn the mind towards investigation of what it actually is in real time. What is it? What is, what is this experience? What is it? It arises with thoughts. This kind of body sensations now. It's unpleasant now. Oh, maybe this is craving. Okay, now there's this kind of thought, this kind of thought. Oh, this is worry now. This is worry. This is what worry feels like in the body. So if the mind is able to do this, have you experienced mindfulness or not? Yeah, you've experienced mindfulness. You're learning to bring mindfulness to this. And that's what it looks like when you're doing that. And that's the process of how you learn to tame your mind. You invite these kinds of energies into the light of awareness. So we may offer some more of this uh, in the practice meetings too when you you come in for your future meetings and and give us the hindrance report. <laughs> now maybe we'll ask you, got any good hindrances? <laughs> Which ones you got? How do, how do you know? What caused you to identify it in that kind of way? And when it was present, what was it like? What did you notice about it when that state was there and was the predominant experience? It's nothing like a good good hindrance to make a Dharma teacher happy. <laughs> this is the way we we uh connect with one another sometimes. We'll like tell stories about like some really good juicy one that that we had come up in our own minds and oh yeah and then Okay, it's it's an odd habit, but So what I would wish for you then is um, the resolve and the uh, interest in the investigation to actually see for yourself whether this way of knowing and this way of relating to um, what can arise in the mind stream is uh, of benefit or not. So you, you run your own experiment. So let's just may all beings awaken and may the practice that we've done here today be a cause and condition of our own awakening and to support for that of all beings. <laughs>